Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I speak with future saints about being saints. Today's podcast is titled The Life of Father Baker. I have with me Monsignor LaPuma. Monsignor, it's good to have you. Thank you so much, Brendan. I really welcome this opportunity and I'm very grateful to you. Oh, well, I'm I'm just excited to have this conversation. Before we get talking, I just want to shout out our sponsors for the podcast. We have The Catholic Company, a one-stop shop for all your Catholic needs. Use code GATA for 20% off your order. That's code GATA, G-O-T-T-A. Anything on The Catholic Company website, so rosaries, statues, books, clothing, you need a First Communion gift, they have it. Check them out, The Catholic Company. That's code GATA, G-O-T-T-A. And our other sponsor is Good Catholic. Good Catholic is a digital video content series. Uh, they've got over 30 series to check out. And if you use code GATA, once again, you can get 20% off one of those series. So check them out. Our most recent series is on purgatory. So I have with me today Monsignor LaPuma, and we are here to talk about the life of Father Baker. To understand Father Baker, uh, of course, Monsignor is going to to dive into that. But I want to uh, mention that I have had the great pleasure of visiting a church that stands today because of Father Baker. This is Our Lady of Vic in the Buffalo area. And I've been to a lot of beautiful churches. I've traveled in Europe. And yet I would say this is one of the prettiest churches. Uh, It it truly fits European culture. If you were to go there and look at their beautiful churches, it can go toe-to-toe with some of those. Um, So here in the States, it's quite a uh, beautiful beautiful testament to the faithfulness of Father Baker, but also the faithfulness of the people of that area who saw the need for uh, a house of worship that has the grandeur that Our Lady of Victory has. So I invite you, I'm sure Monsignor will invite you as well, to consider uh, taking a visit to Our Lady of Victory. It is a beautiful church, and it's also a beautiful area. So if you get a chance to go up there in the fall, uh, I highly suggest it, and other times, maybe not the winter, but that's just <laughs> that's what I would say. So we're we're here to talk about the life of Father Baker, who he is now, to my understanding, he's venerable, correct? correct? So his yeah. his canonization process has begun, and uh, it's beautiful. So at Gotta Be Saints, every single episode, we we focus on this this question of how do I become a saint? And so I'm hoping that in listening to this episode. You're going to find yourself listening to the the story, the life and the legacy of Venerable uh, Father Baker. And from there, you, you're going to be drawn to this reality that you know that you are called to that as well. And just to look at how the Lord is working in your life and ask yourself, how do I become a saint? And then, of course, accepting the graces to to pursue that. So I am now going to first of course, let you introduce yourself, Monsignor, if you can give your uh, just a short bio and then just kind of let you dive in. Great. Thank you so much, Brendan. Well, my name is Monsignor David LaPuma. I'm the pastor rector of Our Lady of Victory National Shrine and Basilica. And I'm also the president of OLVI institutions. And those are the institutions that Father Baker founded uh, years and years ago, hundred over 100 years ago now. And um, it's amazing as I listen to you, that introduction, because I hope at the end of this, that people will be inspired to come and see for themselves the things that I'm going to share. Because we have a wonderful museum here dedicated to Father Baker and his life. And of course, the crowning gem, the basilica that he built back in 1921. So, But I came here in 2019. I'm ordained 35 years. Prior to that, I worked uh, in the bishop's office for about 20 years. And then I was a pastor for six in Niagara County at St. Peter's. And then in 2019, the bishop asked me to come here when my predecessor retired. And I got to tell you, I've lived in Western New York all my life, been here many times, but every day I'm inspired as I walk in the Basilica, I kneel before the tomb of Father Baker, and I know that we're all here today, the Basilica and our city of charity, because of this one man's faithfulness and his dedication, and it's truly an inspiration. 
Beautiful. Yeah. And as I said, I've been there too. And it, <laughs> um, it is just so incredible. And yeah. if you, if you have photos that you want me to share after this podcast, so people can see, um, please send those my way, but I will have our creative team send you, uh, we have lots of photos. So, but I yeah. guess just as an introduction, um, first and foremost, father Baker was absolutely an amazing, humble man and priest. He was short in stature, probably about five feet tall, not very tall at all, but a man of great strength. He is, um, he lived for 94 years and 60 years as a priest. And I can tell you that the most inspiring thing for me is every day to think about how committed he was to the providence of God, the intercession of Our Lady Victory, and his call to serve the poor, the sick, the young, and people of all ages. And as I go through this, I want to give you a little bit about the beginning of his life, but you will learn that he never said no, but he always said yes. And it wasn't just a blind yes. It, well, it was a blind yes, but it was a yes through the intercession of Our Lady of Victory. It was a yes in trusting that if this is what God is asking of him, he would do it. And that's an inspiration, I believe, for all of us. If we all lived our lives that way, what amazing things God can do simply by saying yes. And of course, that goes right back to the Blessed Mother who inspired that yes for all of us. So Father Baker himself was born uh, February 16th of 18, in 1842 here in Buffalo, uh, downtown Buffalo. His father was a German Lutheran who emigrated here. His mother was an Irish Catholic who emigrated here. They met here. Uh, they built a, a, a general store together, and they had four sons, and Nelson was the second oldest. I say that because he was baptized uh, Lutheran, and he went to Mass, though, with his mother, the Irish Catholic. And um, because of that influence, at the age of 10, it was Nelson Baker who asked his parents, could I be rebaptized as a Catholic? And back in the day, they did rebaptize. We don't do that anymore. We accept people from other Christian traditions, of course. But yeah. he was actually rebaptized at the age of 10. And it's important to know that because the inspiration of his life and why we have what we have today was a combination of his father's great business sense and his mother's deep Catholic faith. And those were the two things that really formed his life. He went through public school. Um, and when he graduated from uh, school during that time, he and his brothers worked in their father's store. So he learned a lot about business savvy just from his dad. Uh, when he graduated, the Civil War broke out. So he volunteered to serve in the Civil War, and he actually went down to Gettysburg, and he was there for 30 days. And after that, they sent him to New York because there were uh, race riots going on um, at the time. He went there for a few days, and then he came back to, to Buffalo. When he returned to Buffalo, his friend Joe Meyer said to him, you know, Nelson, you have a great business sense. The city is beginning to grow here in Buffalo. Why don't we open a store together? So they opened a grain and feed store together in downtown Buffalo. And it became very, very prosperous. And this is another beautiful thing about Nelson as a young person. Uh, when he could have made the money and just kept it for himself, he felt a desire to give back. So he joined the St. Vincent de Paul Society in Buffalo at the time. And it was through that society, and again, the same charism of taking care of the poor and the needy that St. Vincent did, Nelson volunteered to help. And they sent him <clears throat> here to what was then called Limestone Hill. The city of Lackawanna is what it's called now, but Limestone Hill is actually the site where the basilica is now. And when he came here, there was a priest in charge. Uh, it was St. Patrick's Church. Um, Father Hines was the pastor and also the superintendent of what was then already a small orphanage that had been here about 20 years and a small protectory for troubled youth that had been here for a number of years before. Father Baker came and said, I'll, I'll help you. So he began to raise funds, bring food, uh, and so forth, and visit the, the grounds here. And that's another pivotal moment in his life, because while he was volunteering for St. Vincent de Paul Society and helping out Father Hines, it was Father Hines who said to Nelson Baker, you know, Nelson, I believe you have a vocation. And this is another pivotal moment in his life, because he decided then at that point uh, to go on a retreat on the Great Lakes. And while on that time of prayer and, and journey, uh, he discerned that he was going to give up his business and enter the seminary. And that's exactly what he did. He came back. He told his partner who wasn't too happy. 
told his father he wasn't too happy, but his mother rejoiced, being the Irish Catholic mother. And he entered the seminary called Our Lady of the Angels, which is located in Niagara County. It's now the site of Niagara University. And he began his studies. He he did some prep work. He had to study Latin because he was what we call a delayed vocation because he was about 27 when he entered. Um, but he persevered in that vocation and that's in his formation. And he actually excelled. And he was kind of beloved in the seminary. He was a great leader. Um, he formed a, a Lady of Victory Association kind of thing, even then before he even knew about Our Lady of Victory. But that was part of the Byzantian charism. And um, what happened to him is that he got very seriously ill with a very rare skin disease while he was studying in the seminary. And he almost died. And even the seminarians, it's in the critical biography that was written on Father Baker's life called Father the Fatherless, were inspired by the way he handled his illness. And he strengthened the fellow seminarians. Um, He recovered. And when he recovered, uh, he heard that there was a pilgrimage being formed in the United States for Catholics to go over to Europe to visit the the shrines and basilicas and eventually to get to Rome to have an audience with the Holy Father at the time. And the purpose of that was to stir up the Catholic faith in the country and to get people to come and appreciate the seat of our faith uh, at St. Peter's. So um, the bishop gave permission, the rector gave permission, and he wanted to go and give thanks to God for his healing. So the pilgrimage actually left from New York. They went by ship. They went to France first. And this is another pivotal moment in his life, because when he arrived in France, they did go to Paris. They did go to Our Lady of Notre Dame, which everyone goes to. But the bishop who was leading the pilgrimage at the time from out west, um, obviously met Nelson at the time on the pilgrimage and said, I think there's a church that you would really love to see. And he stirred him to the church of Notre Dame de de Victoire, Our Lady of Victory. And it's tucked away over by the Louvre. I went there myself a year ago in October for the first time. And um, when he walked into the church, Nelson Baker is a seminarian. He went to the side altar where the shrine is of Our Lady of Victory. Of course, if you know the statue, everybody knows it. It's Mary crowned holding the child Jesus in her hand, crowned as well. And Nelson knelt down at that side altar. He looked around and saw all the intercessory prayers that people had healings, there were crutches, that kind of thing. He was so moved by that experience that he actually stood up and said, I'm going to go back and dedicate the rest of my life to promoting patronage to you, Our Lady of Victory. And that's a key moment as to why everything that we have is here and why Our Lady of Victory is so central to everything that we say and do to this very, very day. He actually bought a statue and brought it back, and I have the statue in my office because it's been passed on from pastor to pastor. I'm the sixth pastor in the succession since Father Baker died in 1936. But anyways, when he came back, he finished seminary, and then he was ordained in 1876 on the Feast of St. Joseph in February uh, 19th. And um, lo and behold, where did the bishop send him? but right here to Limestone Hill. (laughs) He was called to be the associate to Father Hines. And when he got here, Father Hines was struggling financially, keeping the church going, the orphanage going, the protectory going. It was really, really in debt. And Baker at that moment just felt kind of frustrated and kind of overwhelmed. And that's the human side of him. And he actually asked for a transfer Uh, from the bishop, and he went to Elmira, New York, which was part of the Diocese of Buffalo at the time. And he was there almost less than a year when the bishop called him back and said, Nelson, I need you to come back. Father Hines is going to step down, and I need you to take over the institutions. And in typical Baker fashion, he said yes. He came back, and now he's facing this enormous debt. And what did he do? We call him the patriot state of um, direct mail. (laughs) But uh, he actually sat down and wrote to all the postmasters in the country and said, could you send me a list of your Catholic women that are um, organizations, supporters of the Catholic faith, that kind of idea. And miraculously, these uh, postmasters sent the names. And then Nelson sat down, Father Baker sat down at that point, and wrote personal notes to all these ladies across the country and said, for 25 cents, you can join Our Lady of Victory Association and be remembered here in the masses, prayers, and novenas uh, here in um, at St. Patrick's at the time.
We'll be right back. Interested in learning more about your faith? I invite you to check out Good Catholic. They are a digital media brand focused on sharing and teaching about the faith. From podcasts to blogs to digital series, Good Catholic has it all. Use the code in the show notes to get 20% off your order at Good Catholic. And amazingly, they started sending the money in and he was able to pay off the debt. Uh, He invested whatever money he had left, but the money kept coming in from all over the country. And to this day, as a result of what he started, we have about 60,000 donors who continue from across the country, many who've never been here, who contribute because their great-grandparents, great-grandmothers contributed. And the stories are endless. I I won't go into all of that, but it's pretty miraculous how he accomplished it and what he continued to do. But everything he did, he did through the inspiration of Our Lady of Victory. So he then grew the orphanage because it was small. uh, And then he took the bars off the windows of the protectory. And these were troubled boys that came from all over uh, Western New York and beyond. And there were bars on the windows at the time. And he took the bars down. And the first thing he said is, this is not a prison, but this is a place to change these young lives. These are not troubled youth. They are just young people that need direction. And he created an atmosphere where he gave them an education. They went to mass. uh, They went to school. They took their break for lunch. After lunch, they had recreation. And then in the afternoons, he taught them trades. And he taught, he had people come in. They did everything from shoemaking to baking to carpentry to haircutting, you name it, every possible trade. And these boys would then go on and graduate through the system and go on to be successful here in Western New York or wherever they went. So that's another amazing story of what he did. The other part is in 1908, when they were dredging the, uh, building the Erie Canal and dredging the canal, they found body body parts of of babies and abandoned children. And of course, what was thought is that these women were in these unwanted pregnancies, they didn't know what to do, and they were aborting their babies. And he immediately said, I have to do something about that. So in 1908, he built what is called the infant home, which is right across the street, a home for unwed mothers. And he put a bassinet out in front of the door uh, 24-7, where girls could drop off their babies, no questions asked, and he took them in. But the girls that came that wanted to have the option of uh, giving birth to their babies, he built this home where they could come and their parents dropped them off from all over the country again in Western New York. He gave them an education. He built a hospital to birth the babies. And he gave them the option then um, of keeping their baby if they were willing or to give it up for adoption. And so many people have come back and said they were adopted out of here because Father Baker gave these women uh, a second chance at life. And these women would go on then themselves uh, to be successful because of the experience of Father Baker. I just had a lady come about a month ago from Rochester who told me the exact same story that her mother dropped her off here years ago. And this is where she gave birth to her baby. And she remembered everything about that experience. And she spoke about the inspiration of the care that she received here and how it nurtured and strengthened her faith. Hmm. Father Baker then would continue to go on doing everything he had to do for the orphanage, the protectory, the infant home, the hospital. Uh, The hospital is no longer uh, here. It was closed under the Catholic health system in the late 90s, early 2000s. But it is still an outreach center for senior living and um, senior care but that's run under the Catholic health system. But everything else continues to be under the care of our League of Institutions. And we call it Father Baker's uh, City of Charity. But in the back of his mind, and this goes on to to the building of the shrine, always he wanted to, at some point, to build a shrine that would rival the cathedrals and basilicas of Europe. And just going back to that trip that he took as a seminarian, they did eventually go to Lourdes, France, where he was inspired there as well. And then he went on to uh, Rome with the pilgrimage. They actually met with the Holy Father. They went to all the major basilicas, of course, in Rome. Uh, He was inspired, of course, by St. Peter's. And when you come to visit Our Lady of Victory Basilica, actually the colonnade in front 
the Baltikino inside gives you kind of a smaller version of St. Peter's in Rome. So some of that, that's where the inspiration came from. But in um, 1916, there was a fire in the Church of St. Patrick, which was here on Limestone Hill at the time. And um, it damaged some of the sanctuary. So Father Baker fixed that. And the parishioners are saying, well, when are you going to fix the rest of the church? And he said, I have a better idea. And that's when in 1921, he laid the cornerstone for this magnificent shrine that really, truly does rival the cathedrals and basilicas of Europe. Um, he laid the cornerstone with Bishop Turner in 1921, and it took him five years to build it. The first mass was celebrated in Christmas of 1925, and then it was dedicated and consecrated in May of 1926. And there's a little funny story about that because Father Baker went to Bishop Turner at the time to set the date for the dedication, the consecration. And Bishop Turner kind of smiled at him and said, you know, Father Baker, you have to have it paid for before it can be consecrated. And he said, it's all paid for. When he started in 1921, he didn't have a dime, but he reached out to those donors across the country and all the supporters in Western New York. He asked for $10 for a block of marble, which would have been a sacrificial gift at the time. And by the time he completed the Basilica in the five-year period, it was paid for to the tune of $3.5, $3.8 million back in 1926, which is a miracle in and of itself. And it really does stand as the crowning gem of what we call Father Baker's City of Charity. And when you, he was able to live then another 10 years after it was completed. And he didn't stop. He, after, after the basilica was, or the shrine was completed, two months later, it was named a basilica because Bishop Turner saw what was happening and he wrote to the Holy Father at the time and he said, this does really warrant to be named a basilica. And in October of 1926, it was named the second minor basilica in the country at the time. I believe now there's about over 80 of them uh, in the country across the United States. So it does have the title National Shrine and Basilica. But after he completed all of that, then, of course, he went into the Great Depression. And that's when Father Baker opened up the bread lines and he fed everybody, no matter who they were, their walk of life, their state of life. He opened the doors and they said he fed thousands and thousands of people. And one of the amazing things that he did was the African-American community at the time, sadly, with discrimination, they were shunned. Their poverty was even deeper than others. He opened the lines, they came through, and they were so moved that Father Baker was so accepting that um, they asked to become Catholic. And he actually formed a catechism for about 50 that grew to 500 to the point where he actually built a church so that they could have their own congregation. And that has since closed because obviously they've kind of integrated into the communities of you know Western New York, and thankfully that's the case. But that was another, he was probably one of the first to reach out and give that kind of dignity and respect uh, to people who were shunned by everybody else. Uh, he himself then would continue on. Um, he died at the age of 94, January or July 29th, 1936. He actually died of just getting tired <laughs> and of aging out. And um, the priest who anointed him uh, the day that he died was Joseph Burke, Father Joseph Burke, who would then become the first, one of the first native bishops of Buffalo. <laughs> So it's, a, it's just another amazing story, but um, it's a testament to what one man's faith can accomplish when you say yes to God. I'm sorry, I always get emotional when I think about this because it's it's very inspiring, but th that he just believed that every time he needed to do something, and that was every day, he would turn to our Blessed Mother, Our Lady Victory, and he'd just implore her intercession, and it would happen. One another detail of his life that's an amazing thing is back in 1891, when he was trying to figure out how to care for the buildings and the feed everybody, he had a farm that he built, but he also dug for a gas well because he heard that gas wells were being dug uh, in the area in Canada and this part of Western New York. And so he went to the bishop and asked for the money to do it. Um, they contractors came to dig the well. And they said, where are we going to dig? And all of a sudden, he comes out of the basilica with a procession of altar servers, candles, incense. The sisters of St. Joseph were here at the time. Uh, the brothers of the Holy Innocence, these are all collaborators and caring for all the children and youth. He processed out to what would have been a kind of a barren area at the time. And now it's where our buildings stand. But he said he had a statue of Our Lady of Victory. 
And he put the statue down on the spot and he said, dig here, but don't disturb the statue of Our Lady Victory. And so they began to dig and dig and dig. And a couple months went by, nothing happened. It became Father Baker's folly, you know, for a while. But eventually um, on the feast of um, uh, the Queenship of Mary, they hit and that gas well struck and was able then to provide uh, gas and heat for all of the buildings, everything that he built uh, for a number of years. It just ran out not too long ago, basically, but uh, we have what we continue today, a a powerhouse that uh, does maintenance work 24-7, but it's inspired by that. And we help a lot of the parishes here in Western New York with their HVAC systems and so forth. But it's another testament, another miracle that, you know, he persevered and said, keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. And eventually it hit. Mm. Yeah. That's a lot of detail. I don't know if there's anything. It's beautiful. And I, uh, so, you know, the first thing that stuck out to me is the fact that he got sick. You know, if you read enough of the lives of the saints, it seems like half of them have at some point this illness that seems like they'll never recover from. And then of course, when they do, you're, it's pretty apparent that the Lord has a plan for them, that he's continuing to need them in a certain sense and wants to use them. Um, You talk about the, uh, just his ability to turn to providence. I mean, it sounds like he was as docile to the spirit as anyone and just trusted and was resigned in many cases, probably to just give it over to providence because without it, he wasn't going to, be able to to do anything or he probably believed that you know that's the only way that these things are going to get done i mean the gas line i think uh that's a perfect example of someone who just said our lady well through her intercession this will happen and our lord is going to respond to her because of course it's his mom um and there's just beauty in that and uh i i'm a huge fan of saint louis marie de montfort and i think you know that i hear that story something i think of with him i mean he just had that uh ability to just kind of be resigned or or even mother angelica you know anytime i hear a mother angelica story i'm like (laughs) she just always assumed everything was it was all going to work out even though paper it didn't um but i i it's just beautiful to hear his his story um i i do want to ask you a couple questions and i'll i I hope that anyone who's listening um, from this snapshot, you know, is inspired to 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 read more. Um, and I know that you said that there's a there's a book on him, right? Father of the Fatherless. It's called The Father of the Fatherless, and it's written by Apollos Father Richard Father Richard Gribble, and it really details the life of Father Baker, and and it's a critical biography. So it really is the truth. I mean, they did a lot of research, so I encourage people to to read that. I certainly encourage people to come here and see for themselves uh, the beauty of the Basilica, because when Father Baker built it, he wanted it to be a place that really transformed hearts and minds. And when you walk in, the beauty of during COVID, when everything shut down, um, we never closed. We had our security, so we were stay open from 6.30 to 7 every day. And even when we couldn't have public masses, people were coming in and praying throughout the day, kneeling at the tomb of Father Baker, which is another story I need to share with you. But kneeling at his tomb, kneeling before the statue of Our Lady of Victory, and just finding peace and consolation and strength in the midst of all the stuff that was going on and continues to go on. It it really is a, a very healing place. We'll be right back. Today's podcast is sponsored by The Catholic Company. The Catholic Company is a one-stop shop for all your Catholic needs. From rosaries to books to clothing, the Catholic Company has it all. Use the code in the show notes to get 20% off your order. Oh, yeah, certainly. I know that for, for me and my diocese, I was living in the Covington, Kentucky diocese at the time of COVID. And... We had the churches remained uh, open for prayer at least an hour a day. The bishop asked that each priest have adoration for one hour a day. Um, and I mean, it was 
beautiful to see those people, you know, <clears throat> and spend time in prayer. And I'm sure um, you can say the same thing at, at sure. Lady of Victory, just the beauty of that and the presence. Um, but you, I, I do want to give you just time to tell stories if you want, you know, of, of his uh, his life or or how he's impacted people since, sure. uh, well, <clears throat> since he died. When he, when he, the, the other pre- reason why he had to build the shrine is because his um, popularity, and, and it was not about him in any way, but people were moved by him so that St. Patrick's really outgrew <laughs> the building itself, the church building. So our shrine holds uh, about a thousand people um, the way he built it. But when he died, um, there were over 500,000 people that came to view his casket and to process by him right now we're going through this with the the queen in England and the endless lines of people, but it was in a similar way. People were so moved by his life that they just wanted to come and touch his casket. So it was a four day kind of wake procession. And then the funeral mass itself, it was the front page of the papers, everything. But when he died and was buried, they believed then that he was going to be a saint. So they removed from his body all of his bodily fluids, his blood and so forth. And when he was buried in the cemetery next door, Holy Cross, he was buried next to his parents. And they put a separate sarcophagus on top of the casket that held three vials or three containers of bodily fluids. And the reason why I know this so well is because at the time I was the secretary to Bishop Mansell. So fast forward, Bishop Mansell went over to Rome with um, Monsignor Wirtz, who was a successor to Father Baker and a dear friend of mine as well. They went over to Rome to ask Rome what they could do to move the cause along, because the cause for Father Baker actually opened in 1987 under Bishop Head, and that's when he was named Servant of God. But when they went over in 1997 to ask what could be done before the cause of the saints, they said, when you have someone like Monsignor Baker um, at the time, who did all these wonderful things as charitable works and then built this magnificent shrine, bring him from the cemetery into the basilica so people have access to the tomb so that they can pray before the tomb for intercessory prayers. So in March of 1999, without any public notice, I went with Bishop Mansell, the funeral director at the time, uh, Dr. Sullivan, medical doctor, and some other uh, officials from the diocese, they put up a tent over the tomb or the um, grave of Father Baker and his parents. Uh, the grave diggers dug the ground. They hit something that they didn't know what it was and realized that was the sarcophagus. That's what we found out after. But they brought the casket out and the other sarcophagus, and we took it over by the funeral director to the hospital that was still open at the time, to the morgue. And um, when we got inside, um, we couldn't open, we saw the casket and they they said, don't open the casket. We knew it was his because his name was engraved on top and so forth, the date of birth, date of death. But we did open the second sarcophagus and they actually gave me gloves at the time to lift the newspapers out and put them in a black garbage bag, basically. And then we lifted up the vials and Dr. Sullivan's the one, when he saw it, said that the, the blood and bodily fluids from 1936 to 1999 were still liquefied. And when they were tested, they were tested as if it was someone that just recently passed away. Back in the day, that would have been a miracle uh, considered by the church. But unfortunately, not fortunately, I don't want to <laughs> chastise the church, but it is, they've gone to intercessory miracles. I mean, it has to be, a, 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 you, know, you go to the doctor, you have a tumor, uh, and they discover um, that it's going to come back and do a procedure. And when they look again, they find out the tumor's gone. And the doctor says, there's no medical explanation. Those are the kind of intercessory. But as a result of him being moved into, excuse me, being moved into the Basilica in 1999. And that day, that's the other part of the story that's again, just very moving. um, We did not notify anybody. There was no press release. We wanted to be very quiet because we wanted to kind of figure out how this was going to work. then we decided that we would process over to the Basilica and the Baker boys that were still alive at the time, uh, and there was about eight of them, um, they met us at the front door and the Basilica was packed with people. By word of mouth, they heard that something's going on and word of mouth, they heard that Father Baker was being reinterred in the Basilica. 
So you've got a picture of people standing on the pews, watching this procession go down the aisle, and where he is interred now is at the grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes, that again inspired him back on that trip in 1874. When you come in and you've seen this yourself, Brendan, it's an exact replica of the outdoor grotto at Lourdes of our Blessed Mother with St. Bernadette and her revealing herself as the Immaculate Conception. And you see the, the, the tufa around it is all from Pompeii, from the lava, from the volcano. He had all that imported. Um, but anyways, that's where he's interred. From, that, from, the, more, from the time that we uh, began the procession, we finally, about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, had to close the doors. And people were outside banging on the doors and still wanted to get in. <clears throat> but everybody that was in got to process by and, and touch his casket. And I just heard this story the other day, and I, um, and I had not heard it. And I was there that day. But the funeral director, we just did a documentary on the movement of Father Baker from the cemetery to the basilica. And the three of us were interviewed. So I got to watch the, the documentary that they put together. And the funeral director, Brendan, told the story of a father carrying his disabled child who really did not speak at all and waited in procession and just wanted that day to have his son touch the casket, uh, touch the tomb. So um, the, the casket, actually, because we closed the after we uh, put the marble on, but before people could actually touch the casket. But this young boy reached down. His father helped him and he actually touched the casket. And when the father brought him back, he said, thank you, daddy. And he hadn't spoken. <laughs> so, I mean, I'd never heard that story. I, I, when the funeral director said it, because he was standing there, he actually witnessed that young boy who the father was just moved beyond, you know, tears that his son was able to speak for the first time. So we know there are miracles out there. We need uh, two, one for beatification and one for canonization. As I mentioned in uh, 2011, um, Pope Benedict named him Venerable, which is the second stage. So he's the Venerable Nelson Baker. And now we're hoping and praying to get a miracle um, that's approved uh, from the Board of Medical Doctors that goes to the Board of Theologians and Bishops that eventually would go to the Holy Father. Um, so we're hoping and praying right now. We have to, we want the postulator from Rome to come, because he's new to our cause, uh, to come and see for himself. And then for us to go to Rome again to say, what can we do? You know, how can we move this forward uh, to make this happen? Because anybody and everybody who comes <laughs> realizes that this is truly the life of a saint, you know, and and everybody also is inspired to think about their own lives. And I always say this. I said, you, you just have no idea what an ounce of faith can do, <laughs> um, but to just kind of have that kind of trust and and and. That's what inspires me every day. When people say, what, what is the most important thing? I said, it's, it's an honor to humbly walk in his footsteps. But it's truly the inspiration of this priest who, as we know in the world today, we need priests like Father Baker. We need vocations like Father Baker who transform lives and bring people to God and to the intercession of Our Lady Victory. And, and that's amazing. That's what he did every day of his life until his last breath here. That's oh, beautiful. And yeah, I think you're, you're right. It's, you know, we, we need this in our world and we need to be this, you know, and uh person to person now, of course, what it looks like is going to be different, but for each person, but it's just so essential to, to look at that. And I think today in our society, uh, we focus so much on the lives of celebrities and uh, athletes, and there's nothing wrong with desiring to pursue excellence in the way that some of those people do and yet you and i both know that right you really want to find uh someone to emulate walk into a church to the dad who's at 6 30 a.m mass with five kids and knows that he needs to be there in prayer to be a holy father or the priest who's been hearing confessions for three hours on a saturday because he knows that his parishioners need it i mean there's a million examples exactly but you know it, it it's uh, we really could probably take a, a, a good look at the people who are living uh, humble lives and 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 seek to serve the Lord in that way and aren't looking for recognition. And it sounds like Father Baker didn't go looking for recognition. It just came because 
people were inspired by his his humility and his ability to do so much. Yeah, his famous line, Brendan, when anybody would say to him, you know, Father Baker, it's amazing how you're taking care of all these children and what you're doing for people. And he'd say, I didn't do it. She did it all. And he would point to the statue of Our Lady of Victory. The beauty of all this, too, and this is so important for our listeners to hear and know, is that when Father Baker died in 1936, all of this did not die with him, but his legacy continues to this day. We take care of over 40,000 children and family and youth every year. We have six, this is under our, we call it OLV Human Services. We're the largest, um, sixth largest human service organization in Western New York. We take care of severely disabled um, children with mental, mental health and behavioral health. Uh, we have seven schools under our umbrella that take care of kids that come from all over Western New York who um, can't really make it in their own school system. And we do the same thing. We give them an education. Uh, we teach them trades. We bought a bakery a couple of years ago. We're a nonprofit, but we bought a for-profit business that's been around for 100 years. And our kids that are in our, in our high school, um, Father Baker Hall, they go over there and they've learned the trade of baking. And these are kids that never thought they could do anything. We have homes uh, on Martin Road, which is part of our campus, for severely disabled from 21 to their 70s who need 24-7 care and they can't speak, they're wheelchair bound. Um, the care and compassion that they get is all inspired by Father Baker. And we say everything we do is a, a Father Baker legacy. OLV Charities, which is the uh, other part of our organization, they're the ones that continue the fundraising. So what Father Baker started years ago with the direct mail, uh, we continue to send out direct mail. We continue to cultivate donors from all over the country uh, and throughout Western New York. We are right now in the midst of a, a great centennial celebration. In August of, 19, of 2021, we had the bishop come, Bishop Fisher, uh, who's new to our diocese. He came. We had a very special mass. We had a blessing of the cornerstone. We laid a time capsule from our young people today. And over the next five years leading up to 2026, we're having a series of um, celebrations to welcome people here, uh, cultural celebrations. This Sunday, we're doing a the Buffalo Philharmonic under Joanne Folletta, who's a world-renowned conductor, is doing a concert for us in the Basilica uh, dedicated to Father Baker. And we're doing lecture series, all kinds of things, because we want people to come, not just from the Catholic faith, but from all walks of life, to come and appreciate the architecture, but also to come and get a firsthand experience of the power <laughs> of, of what Father Baker was able to accomplish. And it still continues to this very day, and it's going strong. And we... Um, we continue to look at the present needs to kind of adapt to what the needs are in the community. Um, we just are opening up another behavioral mental health center in another part of the city of Buffalo um, because there's so many people, as you know, are struggling and suffering as a result of COVID, but also who truly live on the margins of life and live in areas where they don't even have transportation. So we're trying to get into areas like Father Baker did where people can just come and walk and be taken care of. We have a dental clinic. We have a mental health clinic. Um, we have over 80 sites uh, throughout Western New York that continue that legacy of Father Baker's service. That's oh, incredible. It's incredible. Well, thank you. I mean, I, I, I've i been inspired by this. I need to get a copy of that book so I can read it because um, I think I, I love biographies, um, especially on on saints. So I uh, I'll definitely have to read that. But I want to give you the chance now, I'm just looking at the clock to kind of give you some, any final thoughts or, you know, even just ways that people can find out more about Father Baker and of course uh, can include anything. Um, if there's links or anything, I can include those in the show notes. I encourage people to uh, get on our website, olvbasilica.org. Um, there's videos, there's, um, we, the other wonderful gift that's given to us is when the pandemic hit, we were able to hire a social media specialist, um, who does filming, uh, for our masses. We continue to take mass every week and, um, we post it on our website, but we also channel to our local WGRZ TV, picks it up and they show it on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock, which is wonderful. The community of Western New York is thrilled, especially the the seniors, the disabled, those who can't get to church. People are coming back, thankfully, you know, for in-person mass. But we're continuing to do that. But 
you can you can see our view our masses on there. You can view um, videos on Father Baker. You can view uh, an actual uh, virtual tour of the basilica. We had a drone come in and do this beautiful. Um, so you can actually see for yourself or visit our, our listeners uh, the beauty of the basilica. But I would encourage people to come in person um, when you come to Lackawanna. You'll see the the shrine. You go down to the lower basilica. There's a beautiful, extensive uh, museum. Uh, there's a gift shop. Um, we are also in the midst of a, a centennial capital campaign um, because we realize that this gem and this treasure and the institutions and all that we serve have to continue. So we're working very hard right now to continue to raise the resources uh, for the next hundred years. And uh, the building is held up really beautifully well, but there's been leakage problems, drainage problems. So we're working on all of that to restore um, this gem and to make sure that it's around for years. But it is something that you have to come and see. I've heard people say that they've seen it on the website, but until they came, it was just amazing to them. And we have, before COVID, we would have over 40,000 visitors a year. A lot of our neighbors from Pennsylvania, Ohio, Canada, border, um, Toronto, Mississauga, uh, Ontario, uh, they come over in busloads and families that just come in each and every day are, are traveling through because when you come here, then they go to the botanical gardens and then they go to Niagara Falls. And it's a, it's really, as you said, it's a beautiful time of year to come in the fall, but anytime, uh, everyone's welcome. That's the tagline for our centennial. It's all are welcome. And we truly want people to feel very much at home here, welcomed here. Uh, if you want to have a tour, contact us ahead of time. We arrange. We have tour guides that will meet with pilgrimage groups and give them a really good uh, tour of of the facility and the the, the basilica itself. So, oh, beautiful! I I love it, and yeah, I I can uh, as I already tested. It's worth it's worth visiting. So truly, check it out if you're listening to this. Um, but now I want to ask you, Monsignor, two questions. So I ask everybody who uh, I have on the podcast as guests these two questions. Um, and the first one is, who is on your Mount Rushmore of saints? I'm, I'm assuming Father Baker makes makes it. Father Baker is the first. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Um, St. John Paul II. I, I became a seminarian in 1978, college seminary, and that's the month when Pope John Paul I died and Pope John Paul II was brought in. And it was only a month, right? And um, I would go on then to uh, actually do my graduate studies uh, at the North American College in Rome. So I had the privilege of actually serving mass for Pope John Paul II. I had the privilege after I was ordained a deacon to diaconate in his private chapel. Uh, so I remember standing before him and proclaiming the gospel, which I was still moved by. I prayed the act of contrition a million times that morning as I was staring at him because I felt so <laughs> <laughs> And um, I, uh, his life, you know, and, and just moved me uh, very strongly um, in my own ministry as a priest. And then we have local saints here in the making. There are people, men and women, as you said, who are quietly doing great work every day. Um, but those are my three biggies. Um, St. John Newman, who is a local saint for us here in Western New York, because he's the one that came through and founded a lot of our parishes. He did it on horseback. And mm -hmm. so a number of our parishes have been founded by him. So we have a whole legacy of, of people that have influenced us here in Western New York. And part of the museum is the is a tour of um, how to become a saint and the process. And a lot of those stories are on those walls so people can see. But I guess that, I know that would be my Mount Rushmore. Okay. Oh, it's beautiful. I, my wife and I just two nights ago finished uh, watching the, the Carol uh, movie. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's like a, it's a short series, but it's like six hours in total, but it's four episodes based on John Paul's life before he became Pope. And then after he became Pope, it's unformed. Oh, I got it. So, uh, if you're in it's, yeah. it's, well made. it's not, you know, it's not a high budget, but they did a, they did a good job and really beautiful. So we, we love, we love John Paul. Inspirational uh, in every way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, and then the last question I, I want to ask you is God willing, one day you'll be a saint. And, uh, you know, as, as you become a saint, you oftentimes are the patron saint of something. So what are you going to be the patron saint of? Oh boy. I should have thought more about that one. I just, um, I'd like to, I'm humbled, but, um, just the healer of souls. I mean, I, every day and particularly in the sacrament of confession, when people come before you, it's very humbling. And, um, to be able to be that instrument to help people realize how much God loves them mm. and how great is God's mercy. Um, and you know, when people come to you and they say, father, it's been 40 years and I don't know what to do. And then you just kind of invite them. And I always tell them, you know, this is a sacrament of healing. It's not a sacrament of judgment. So please just uh, bear your soul, get whatever's holding you back. Just put it out there and know that that's when you're truly contrite, that's when God just kind of comes in and washes away. And you make that act of contrition, you do that penance and you go forth like the prodigal son, you know, restored and, and strengthened. And so I would hope and pray that, because um, that's, other than celebrating Mass, the Eucharist obviously is central. Um, I believe hearing confessions is probably one of the greatest gifts to be able to to do that and no. to help people. So. Oh, yeah. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Monsignor. This has been thank a you. treat to get to talk and... Um, <laughs> it's great. Both you and I have cried at some point during yeah. this. <laughs> so, this well, is a I, faith. I appreciate this opportunity, Brennan. I appreciate what you're doing. And, and um, again, God's using you to do great things, you and your family, your wife. And certainly I'll be praying for you. Um, I ask Father Baker to intercede for you and your family and all your listeners and Our Lady of Victory to protect you. And on our website is the prayer for canonization for Father Baker. So I encourage people to pray that every day. We pray it at every Mass, at every celebration here uh, to promote his cause and to pray that one day, God willing, uh, through the intercession of Our Lady of Victory, he will become uh, a saint. So, Well, I'll certainly pull that uh, that ver- or that, that prayer off your uh, website and uh, I'll include it on one in the show notes, but um, I'm on social media and that's where I probably get more traction. And so I can uh, certainly plug that prayer there too. Um, but thank you so much. This has been this has been a pleasure, and I, I look forward to meeting you. Um, yes, I said this before we we started recording for anyone at home, but uh, I'm headed up to Monsignor's uh, church in in April, God willing, for a wedding. So uh, we'll get to meet in person. Which yeah. will be great. I'll look forward to seeing you and welcoming you and meeting you. So thank you. Of course. Well, thank you, anyone who's listening at home, and have a great day. And God bless. And let's let's be saints. All right. God bless you. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and check out goodcatholic.com for more details.